morning, we just want to talk about what we're getting ready for. Like, what in the world are we doing? We're changing things up pretty drastically for four weeks in a row. We're, we've cast this vision for 30 days of prayer and fasting as a church family. And really, I know that there's kind of a mix of emotions and responses and reactions to this vision and to kind of what we're getting ready to step into. And, you know, it's pretty normal. I mean, we're on the cusp of kind of a significant journey together as a church family. And anytime you get ready for a significant journey, it's usual and normal for there to be uh, some kind of uh, a little bit of flustering sometimes, maybe uncertainty about why we're setting out on the journey or what exactly the journey is about. We experience this on any journey that we go on. Back in October, uh, my family, my wife and I, took our kids on this camping trip uh, up to uh, Kentucky. I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and we have, at the time, she was a six-month-old. And so, you know, when you prepare for a camping trip like that, there's going to be places as you prepare where you start to question your sanity and you start to think, why in the world am I taking these three kids on this camping trip? It usually happens for me when I'm loading the car. See, I'm the one that loads the car, and my wife is the one that puts all the stuff together, so I'm outside putting in the normal things that you need for a camping trip. You know, tent, sleeping bag, your cook stove, your cooler full of the food that you think you need. My wife, however, thinks a little better than I do, and she understands there's some extra things that you need for kids. And so she's bringing out, like, box and crate after crate of all these things. It's like, you know, you don't just need bug spray anymore. Now you need special bug spray for the kid that has sensitive skin. You don't want to get a rash while you're on your camping trip. You you don't just need a sleeping bag. You need the kid's sleeping bag and each one of their stuffies and the little blanket that makes them feel like they're safe and at home. You know, you don't just need the normal book and journal for around the campsite. No, 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 you got to have toys so the kids stay entertained. They can't just be any toys. They have to be the toys that will keep the kids from falling into the fire or running into a another person's campsite. You know, there's all these different things you start to think through. And as I'm loading the car, I feel like I'm going crazy because there's no way I'm going to be able to fit all of this into the car. And then my wife brings my son's bike out and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be able to fit that in here. Why in the world are we doing this? And I just feel like I'm going nuts. And my wife has to grab me. It happens almost every time. And she has to remind me of the why. And she has to remind me of the what. She says, Aaron, we're doing this because we love camping and and we want our kids to love the outdoors. And she says, we're doing it right now at a young age so that when they get older, they'll look forward to it and they're going to want to help us do it. Or she says, Aaron, we're doing this because we want these memories together as a family. She reminds me of the why. Sometimes she has to remind me of the what. She says, Aaron, three days from now, your feet are going to be on a trail and you're going to be doing the thing you love the most, hiking on a mountain. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. She reminds me of the why and the what, and it helps me to step into the how do we get ready for it. This morning, I want to talk to us about the why. Why are we doing this? And I want to talk to you about the what. What, what exactly are we doing? What, what is this season? What's it going to look like? Let's start with the why. And we're going to read uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 to get a better understanding of the why behind this journey together. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 20. If you're using one of our Bibles, this is page 814. Ephesians 1, page 814 in our Bibles. I'm going to start in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I remember you in my prayers. I I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is the word of the Lord out of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is this guy in the first century who has given his life to Jesus, this radical encounter with Jesus, former terrorist, used to murder Christians, has this encounter with Jesus, and literally gives his life, devotes himself fully to advancing the message of Jesus. And he writes this letter to these Christians that lived in a city called Ephesus. And at the beginning of his letter, I love the way he starts, because what he's basically saying to them, starting in verse 13, he's saying, listen, you have been included in Jesus Christ. And he emphasizes the certainty that they have in this. He says, listen, you heard and you believed the gospel of your salvation. He says, and you have this guarantee. He uses words like guarantee. He says, you have been marked with the Holy Spirit. Now, this word mark that he uses to talk about what we receive in the Holy Spirit, he says, this is, this, the word he uses is kind of like what a shepherd would have done in the first century to a sheep that was his to mark it as part of his herd. It's what we might think of as like a cattle rancher uh, branding his cattle to say, this one belongs to me. What he's saying is, listen, you've heard the good news. You've believed. You've received the salvation. You have this guarantee because you have been branded by the kingdom of God. You belong to God. And so Paul is just reminding them of the certainty they have with Jesus. And then he goes on and he just starts thanking God for that. He says, because of this reason, because you have this certainty... I've not stopped giving thanks to you because I've heard about your faith and I've heard about how you love God's people. Paul's like this fountain overflowing with thanksgiving as he reflects on all that God's been doing in the Ephesian church. As I read that this morning, I honestly, I I could not help but think about us as a church family. I, I really believe that if Paul were alive today or if we were a church that existed in the first century and Paul was to write us a letter, I think it would sound very similar to this. And you'd say, Ethos Church, you've been included with Jesus. You have certainty of salvation. You've been marked and branded with the Holy Spirit of God. The kingdom of God is yours. And I've heard about your faith in God, and I've heard about how you love God's people. And because of that, I'm just overflowing with thanksgiving for all that God is doing in you. I really believe that about our church, just like I think Paul really believed it about the Christians at Ephesus. And yet what Paul does next in the midst of his thanksgiving is almost unexpected. He says, I've been praying for you. And he says, and I keep praying for you. Look in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And listen to this sentence, so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. In other words, he's saying, listen, I know that you know about what Christ has done in you and you have this certainty, but my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you the fullness of who God is. There's more. There's more. There's more of God. He's saying, Ephesians, there's more of God. Ethos, there's more of God. And you know, as we listen to that, sometimes it's tempting for us to go, how can there be more? I mean, we've got salvation, we've got marked by the Holy Spirit, we, we have faith in God, what more could there be? Have you ever had a moment where you didn't think there could possibly any, be any more of a good thing? You thought, surely there can't be any more. I, 
there's this family in Canada when my wife lived and I lived in Canada, there was a family that kind of adopted us. And um, the wife of this family, she was the daughter of an Italian immigrant to Canada and they owned an Italian restaurant when she was growing up and this woman could cook some amazing food. And she did not know how to prepare just a little bit of food. <laughs> Every time we went to her house, literally we'd get in, the kitchen's going crazy, we would sit down at the dinner table and already there'd be like a bowl of salad, an amazing like pasta dish, and then some kind of meat, either steak or like a rack of ribs or something. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. And then she brings out like another salad. And I'm like, okay, I guess you need two salads sometimes. And then, and then she's not done. She brings out this other dish of pasta or a gigantic bowl of pierogies. Or she brings out an entire roast chicken. And then she goes back and she comes out with a plate of roasted asparagus with olive oil and almonds. And then she comes back with like this plate of sausages that she's been cooking all day. And she lays out on And I'm like, how can there possibly be any more food generated by your kitchen? Like... There's no way, and how could you possibly expect me to put that much food in my body? Like, I only have so much space. How could there be any more of a good thing like that? This is the experience that Paul is saying we can have with God. He's saying there's more. Just when you think there couldn't possibly be any more of a good thing, there is more. He says, I'm praying this so that you may know him more. This word know that he uses. He's not talking about a head knowledge. He's not saying, hey, I want you to know more about God. Now, this word know that Paul uses, it implies and conveys the sense of knowing something through experience. Experiencing God, the fullness of who he is. That's why Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. He's not saying, hey, I just want you to see a few things with these eyes. He's like, no, I want your heart to fully experience and know to the fullness of who you are to know the bigness of God's love, and how much he loves you. This is what we are after as a church family. We want to know God. We want to know him and experience him and experience the deepest kind of intimacy that we know is possible. This is what's on the table. Our prayer for our church is no different than Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God would give us wisdom and revelation so that we could know God in ways that we did not know was possible. This is what's on the table. And so all we're asking, the why behind this whole endeavor is simple. We want to know and experience the depths of God's love, his grace, and his power in ways that we never experienced before. And we are going to go after God together as a church family, arm in arm, hand in hand, asking him to do more than we ever even thought was imaginable or possible. The question for us this morning is, are you in? Do you want this? Do you want to experience the fullness of God in your life in ways that you didn't know was possible? Do you want to exercise and live into the power and authority that we have in Jesus? That is the why. That's the simple why. We want more of God. Now, the second question we have to answer is the what. What are we going to do? What are these 30 days going to look like as we move into this season? And there are two really practical things that we're asking all of you to do. Okay, here's the what. Very simple. For 30 days, starting on January 29th and ending on February 27th, we're asking you to do two things. First, we're asking everyone to commit to praying every single day. That's a simple, simple ask. For 30 days, January 29th, February 27th, will you commit to praying every single day? On our website, ethoschurch.org, if you click on the fast forward banner on the homepage, it'll take you to a, a ton of resources. One of those resources is a 30-day prayer calendar. 
And we're asking all of you to download that prayer calendar, print it, get it on your iPad, your iPhone, your computer, whatever format you need to be able to view it regularly, and pray with us every single day for 30 days. And we're not just doing this with one another, we're actually doing this globally, 11 churches, six different countries. Around the world, there's going to be around 11,000 people holding hands and praying for more of God in our communities. So that's what we ask you to do, pray every day for 30 days. Now, the second thing we ask you to do is the one that's probably got most of you more confused and a little nervous. The second thing we're asking you to do is we want everyone to take their next step in regards to fasting. We want everyone to take their next step in regards to fasting as a spiritual discipline. Now, maybe you've never heard of fasting, or you don't know what fasting is, or maybe you've heard of it and thought, that's something I will never do, or maybe you've tried it before. I don't know where all of us are probably in different places. My goal this morning is to give us a quick snapshot of what fasting is. I'm going to give you a little definition. Again, if you need more, please go to our website. There have been a lot of blogs written, and we're posting all those on that one page under Fast Forward, so you can access all of this. But for, for this morning, a simple definition of fasting. It is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Now let's just name what we're all feeling. If we're honest, we may not understand how that works. Like what? Like why would you <laughs> refrain from food for spiritual purpose? And then on the, not only do we may not understand it, a lot of us are going, why would we ever want to do that? Like why, why would you ever want to stop eating? I love food. I love food. Like I love to eat. Why in the world would I ever want to stop eating and refrain from that? You know, many people in the Bible fasted, but for a lot of us, it's a completely foreign concept. So here's what I want to talk about. I'm going to, I'm going to describe fasting for you, um, different ways to fast, uh, and, and just to go ahead and release some of the pressure in the room, if you're sitting there going, i got to not eat for 30 days, <laughs> I can't eat for 30 days, that's not what we're asking all of you to do. It's not what we're asking you to do, okay, and I'm going to talk about that. But before I start talking about fasting and what we are asking you to do, I want to name some tensions. There's going to be some tensions that you feel as we even talk about fasting and some tensions that you feel as you step into fasting, okay? The first tension is this, grace versus discipline. Grace versus your effort, okay? Um, we are after intimacy with God and we're fasting because we believe that as we let go of some of the things that satisfy us in this world that, that we will turn our eyes more naturally to God. And that intimacy always requires work, whether you're talking about a marriage or a friendship. And intimacy with God is no different. But here's the thing. We do not earn intimacy from God. You fasting does not somehow earn you a better position with God. So we're not saying that you have to fast in order for God to love you. We're saying that, man, we want to posture ourselves to receive the fullness of intimacy that God so freely wants to give us. But that is going to require some self-discipline, and it's going to require a lot of grace. So as you step into fasting, in those places where you mess up or you set a goal for what you're going to do and it doesn't go exactly well, man, cling on to grace, but then ask the Lord to give you the self-discipline you need to keep going. So there's this tension, but the two are not mutually exclusive between grace and discipline. The second tension I think some of us may feel is the tension between public versus private. You know, we're doing this all together as a community. And yet there's this interesting place in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says that fasting should primarily be a private spiritual discipline. He says, listen, if you want people to know that you're spiritual or you want people to think that you're spiritual, an easy way to do that is just to go and just tell them that you're fasting. <laughs> if you want people to look at you and go, wow, that guy's really dedicated to God, just tell them that you're fasting, tell them exactly what you're doing. But what Jesus says is if you want the reward of more intimacy with God, 
then, then don't tell anyone. Keep it between you and the Lord. And so here, here's what we're asking you to do. As you, as you step into fasting, Jesus was not saying, hey, you need to lie every day. Don't tell anybody. If anybody asks you why you're not eating, you won't lie to them. <laughs> Just don't let them know. That's not what Jesus was getting after. He, Jesus was speaking to this tendency in our heart to want to compare ourselves with other people. You know, we, we all, like, if we're not careful, if we start telling everybody how we're fasting, we're going to start comparing ourselves with them and what they're doing. And this can lead to either pride, because, wow, I'm doing a lot more than that person is, or it could lead to inadequacy. Oh my goodness, that person's doing so much more than I am. They're giving up so much more. This is not a competition, and no type of fast, no matter what your next right step is, there's no step in here that is going to be more spiritual or more significant than anyone else's. We are doing this together as a community. So here's what we ask you to do. Ask the Lord. Lord, what is it? What type of fast are you calling me into? And as you decide upon that with the Lord, maybe pick one other person. It might be your spouse, your best friend, roommate, uh, somebody in your house church. But share with one other person, hey, here's what I think God's calling me to do. And then together, the two of you walk together through this journey, checking in with each other, encouraging one another. And so we walk that tension of a public discipline versus a private so we've got grace and discipline, public and private. The last tension I want to talk about is mystery versus certainty. Mystery versus certainty. Basically, this tension basically just says, listen, spiritual disciplines are not formulas. In other words, just because we pray and fast does not mean that we are going to experience a very specific thing with God. And we can't twist God's arm and make him do the things that we want him to do. There is some mystery involved here. But here's what we learned from Jesus' brother James. Jesus' brother James says in the book that he wrote in the Bible, he says, listen, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We believe that. We believe it. And so as you fast, come with expectation that God will draw near to you, but don't put parameters around how God has to do that. Allow God to be mysterious. Even as we gather next week, we won't necessarily know what that time is together is going to look like. Embrace the mystery in that. But let's lean into the certainty of God's faithfulness and God's promise that when he says he will draw near, he will draw near. And however we experience that communally and however you experience that individually is exactly what God wants you to experience. So let's embrace the mystery and lean into the certainty of God's faithfulness. All right, those are our three tensions. We got those aside. So as you're wrestling with those as I'm talking, just remember kind of what we do with those. Let's talk about fasting. What in the world is fasting? What are we talking about? You know, Jesus... Jesus tells us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And I really believe, I think Jesus is a truth teller. I think if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, then we will be filled. But I also believe that many of us will never truly hunger and thirst for righteousness because we have been trained to feast on the junk food of our age. Is it possible to hunger for Jesus if our souls are currently being satisfied with far lesser things? You see, the purpose of fasting is to loosen our dependence on material things so that we can move our focus from the physical to the spiritual. And it's not that all material things or physical things are inherently bad. It's just that oftentimes they can hinder us from focusing on God entirely. There's this guy named Thomas Aquinas. He was an early church father, and he talked about fasting, and he said it this way. He said, fasting is a quieting of our impulses. Quieting of our, isn't it true? We all have these impulses that we face every single day. Aquinas would say fasting is a quieting of those impulses. He goes on to say, it is meant to allow us to see and hear things as they most truly are. 
I see fasting as this way of leveraging our physical hunger to awaken us to our deeper spiritual hunger, a spiritual hunger that some of us may not even know is there. We are so programmed to satisfy every craving immediately. And this is a way of just saying no to some physical cravings as an expression of our spiritual cravings. We as a church truly believe that a season of fasting will allow us to retune our heart's desires for the sake of more intimacy with God. Okay, so, so if, I'm not, if we're not asking you to do a 30-day period of eating absolutely no food, then what in the world are we asking you to do? Okay, let's address this. There are different types of fasts, okay? Um, I'm going to name all four of these. I'm going to go through them quickly again. If you want more on this, go to the website. There are blogs being written. Uh, Dave wrote the ebook, the audio book. Really encourage you to read that, listen to it. It's going to help us be on the same page. Let's talk about these four types of fasts. The first one is a major fast. Okay? A major fast is the type of fast where you refrain from food uh, and, and all beverages but water for 24 hours or more. It's called a major fast. This is what we see Jesus do in Matthew chapter 4. He spends 40 days not eating anything in the wilderness. And this is a very significant type of fast. And some of you may be called into doing this for certain amounts of time. And some of you may have never done this before. And that's not the right step. But it's one type of fasting, a major fast. Okay, another type of fast is a minor fast. Okay, with a minor fast, you abstain for food from a certain period of time each day. So it's not a full 24-hour period or more. It's, it's a certain window of time during the day. So, you know, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. or sunrise to sunset. Uh, this was a common way of fasting for the Jews of Jesus' day. It was something they practiced regularly. They would fast from sunup to sundown from all food. That's a minor fast. So you got your major, your minor. Another one is a partial fast. I know I'm going through these fast. If you want more, it's all in the audiobook. It's all in the ebook. A partial fast is when you abstain from certain types of food, not all foods, but you abstain from certain types of food or particular meals uh, during the course of whatever period you're fasting. So this is what we see in the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament in Daniel 1. He gives up all meat and he eats only fruits and vegetables. And some people still do this kind of thing. It's called a Daniel fast. You can read. If you want to know what a Daniel fast is, just Google it. It'll tell you all the things you can't eat and can't drink. Um, so that's one way. It's a partial fast. You're giving up certain foods. So you've got a major fast, minor fast, a partial fast. And the third thing, some people are not able to give up food, either for health reasons or a variety of other reasons. And so there's what we call a soul fast. Now, technically speaking, when the Bible talks about fasting, it's only talking about food now, but a soul fast is another way to let go of some things so that we can open our hearts up completely to God. In a soul fast, you give up certain elements of your life. So, for example, you give up social media for a period of time, or you give up TV, or you give up Netflix, or you, know, you give up uh, your favorite thing to eat. You give up coffee. You give up whatever it is. You know, there's a soul fast is where we let go of something in our life, and then we reuse that time that we would have spent focusing on the Lord. Okay, so these are the four types of fast, major fast, minor fast, partial fast, and soul fast. And here's what we're asking of all of us. We are inviting each of us to take your next step in regards to fasting. We're not asking you to take my next step or Dave's next step or your best friend's next step, just your next step. What is the next right step for you in regards to fasting? You know, for some of you, it's a major deal that you're even here today, like, and you got out of bed and you came to church and you're proud of yourself just for making it here. And here's the thing, we are so proud of you as well. We're so glad you're here. 
And we are not trying to set a bar that you have to perform to a certain element in order to be a part of our community. That's not what this is about. This is about each of us going to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is the next step for me? And so for some of you, it may be just a soul fast of certain things. For some of you, it may be a partial fast. You may choose to do a major fast, one or two days a week for a whole month. You may choose to do a combination of things. You may do a partial fast from some foods, and you may also give up social media or Netflix or something like that. You know, all of us, for each one of us, that next step is going to look different. Our ask, our invitation for you, is will you take whatever the next step is for you? as we together as a community for 30 days say that we're willing to let go in order that we can grab hold of God. We are willing to let go so that God can grab a hold of us. Now, I I really encourage you, I'll say this as gently as I know how to, as you discern what your next step is, it should feel like a sacrifice. It should feel like it's stretching a little bit. Because it's when we allow ourselves to be fully dependent upon God, if it is not a sacrifice, you will not lean on the Lord in the middle of your fast. And so whatever that next step is, allow yourself to be stretched a little bit. And if you're, if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, you know, I, I love our church and all, but personally, I just don't really feel convicted that this is the next right thing for me. Here, here's what I would ask. Would you consider taking a risk for your church family? Lots of people around you are going to be praying and fasting. Will you take a risk? And give it a shot and just see what God does in your life. We've talked about the why. want more of God, more intimacy with God. We've talked about the what. 30 days, praying every day. 30 days of taking our next right step and fasting with the Lord. I want to talk with you a little bit about the how. This part of the sermon is extremely practical. Okay, I want to talk to you about some practical things. I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. Again, I want to point you, um, lots of people in our church family are writing blogs right now about fasting and different elements of it. You can find all of those blogs listed out on our website, and they're going to be being posted throughout the week. So please go to ethoschurch.org, click on Fast Forward. On the left side of the screen, you'll see resources. Um, you'll find lots of information there. But here's some practical things about preparing. You know, um, we're going to talk about preparing your heart, preparing your mind, and preparing your body. Okay? Preparing your heart, preparing your mind preparing your body. Ultimately, this kind of fast is about preparing your heart. You know, we're not fasting for health reasons. We're not fasting to lose weight or to go on a diet. No, we're fasting because we want the eyes of our hearts to be open to all that God has for us. And just like you would train or prepare your physical body for a physical feat, we need to train and prepare our hearts for this spiritual feat that we're about to set out on. The way Jesus instructed people to prepare their hearts before the kingdom of God encountered them was very simple. It's probably more simple than we make it. He said this, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Now we talk about these words, repent and believe a lot. So let me break this down so it's practical for you this week. Repenting means if there's something in my life that is not of God, I'm turning away from it and I'm turning towards God. That's it. But repentance implies that I know that there's something in my life not of God. And I have to name that. That's called confession. And so here's what I would encourage you to do this week. Let's spend a week preparing our hearts. And as we go through the 30 days, preparing our hearts, confessing and repenting. So is there something in your life that you know is not of God? And there's so much grace. Confess it. Stop stop hiding it. Like, tell someone. Tell your roommate. 
Tell your spouse. Find a pastor that you trust. Just confess it. James, the brother of Jesus, again, he says, listen, if you confess your sins to one another, you will be healed. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you want to prepare your heart for a fast, ask the Lord to illuminate what you need to confess. Confess it. Repent and believe in the good news of Jesus as you lean into this fast. It's very practical. The other part of preparing our hearts is about preparing our hearts with one another. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse, uh, and verse 30, uh, Paul starts talking about things that we do that grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, did you know that things like bitterness and resentment and rage and malice and anger towards other people, did you know that when those things live in your heart, they actually grieve the Holy Spirit, the one that you've been branded with? And so here's what I'd ask you to do. Is there someone in your life, is there a brother or sister in Christ that you've been harboring resentment for? They've hurt you? Maybe you just don't like them? Is there somebody that you're harboring bitterness towards? As we lean into this fast, will you ask the Lord to help you forgive that person just as God forgave you in Christ? And let's lean into forgiveness. Let's not move into this season together and allow the enemy to have a foothold and try to turn us against one another as we're attempting to lock arms and approach the Lord with one another. So if you've got bitterness or resentments building up in your heart, confess that and forgive that person. Let's prepare our hearts to encounter God Almighty together. That's how you prepare your hearts. Let's talk about preparing your body. How do you prepare your body for a fast like this? I'm not going to spend, again, a ton of time on this. There's lots more on the website, uh, but it's important. Uh, fasting from food obviously has a physical element to it, so it's important that you prepare your body for that. So some simple things. Uh, are, are you a coffee drinker or do you drink caffeine from in another source? If that's the case, before you step into your fast, you might want to start to uh, decrease the amount of caffeine you're eating gradually as you get closer to the day of your fast because there's nothing worse than trying to battle hunger with caffeine withdrawal. It only compounds the misery that you're going through. So, so as you approach that fast, consider backing off of coffee or whatever caffeine source you have as you approach the day of your fast. Another practical thing to prepare your body, the, the natural thing you're going to feel the day before you begin a fast you're going to be like, man, I can't eat it all tomorrow. I got to do it all today. Like, I'm just going to eat as much as I can so that I can endure tomorrow. But if you do that, I promise you, your body's going to hate you for it. Like, don't gorge yourself the day before your fast. Uh, if anything, you should simplify your diet. The day before you fast, simplify the things that you eat. Eat a lot of fruits, eat a lot of vegetables, uh, eat things that are going to be really healthy for you, really clean foods. Uh, again, more about that on the website, but prepare your body. And the last thing for your body, drink lots and lots of water. I mean, stay hydrated. And regardless of whether you're doing a major fast, partial fast, minor fast, if you are abstaining from food, I really, I, I plead with you, drink plenty of water and stay hydrated during this fast. All right, we've talked about preparing your heart and your body. Let's talk about preparing your mind. This is the last thing before we wrap up. Preparing your mind for a fast is really about making a plan. Have you ever set a vague goal for yourself? Like, I'm going to get up sometime early tomorrow morning and go to the gym and work out. And then you don't think through, like you don't put your exercise clothes out. Uh, you don't think through whether you're going to have like a shake before or after you work out. You don't think through the actual workout you're going to do. I do this all the time. I tell my wife, I'm going to get up early, early and go to the gym. 
And then if I do actually get out of bed, I spend half of my time rummaging around the room in the dark looking for the clothes that I'm going to wear. I go to the kitchen and it's like stupor looking at, I should probably eat something. Maybe after, I don't know. And then you get to the gym and I'm like staring at all the equipment. I have no idea where even to begin. And I spend half my time just walking around aimlessly. Have you ever done that before? So with a fast, we've got to make sure that we don't do the same thing, right? So name what type of fast you are entering into. If you are doing a partial fast, and you know there's certain foods you're not going to eat. Have you gotten rid of those foods? Have you gotten them out of your house? Because they're going to be really hard to resist when you go through that partial fast. If you're doing a partial fast and you're only allowed to eat certain types of food, have you gone to the store to get the kind of foods that you're allowed to eat? Because I'm telling you, there is nothing worse than going to the grocery store in the middle of a fast. Like, it's, it's like torture. Don't do that to yourself. So before you begin your fast, make sure you have what you need in your home. Are you fasting from social media? Well, you might want to consider deleting those apps off of your phone. It just removes this temptation right away. If you're fasting from Netflix, have, have you gone through and thought about how you're going to spend your time instead of watching Netflix? Because it's not, hey, I'm going to fast from Netflix. Well, I guess I'll go to Hulu. I'll do that instead. You know, like that's, <laughs> it's not that. It is saying, Lord, I'm going to let go of this thing so that I can focus more on you. But if you don't make a plan, if you don't make a plan, it's not going to happen. You have to be intentional with it. So make a plan. How are you going to spend the time that you would normally spend eating? How are you going to spend the time that you would normally spend scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? How are you going to spend the time that you would normally spend watching TV and binge watching shows on Netflix at night? Like, how are you going to spend that time so that you can leverage the time for more intimacy with God? That is the why and that is what we are after. We've talked about the why more of God. Man, I love you, Ethos Church. I love you. I mean, I, I have lots to say about why I love this church. In fact, it's going to be in a blog this week if you want to read it. Like, I love you. And I believe God has so much more for all of us. I believe he has more for our church. I believe he has more for our city. I believe he has more for our country. And I know he has more for the world. Are we willing to leverage ourselves and chase after the intimacy that God wants for us? You're invited, all of you. Will you step onto the journey with one another towards more of God's intimacy? We're going to go to communion right now and set up all around the room like usual. This will be the last time for a month that we take communion together at the cannery. So as you go to communion, I encourage you, ask the Lord, Lord, what is my next step? What are you calling me to? Or ask the Lord, Lord, how do I need to prepare my heart? Is there something I need to confess? Is there a sin in my life or is there someone I need to be reconciled with? Will you have the courage to go to communion and ask the Lord to reveal that to you and be ready to respond however he calls you to? I love you very much. I'm going to pray for us and then let's go take communion together. Lord, we love you. We love you, God. And yet, Lord, we want to love you more. We trust you, God, and yet we want to trust you more. Lord, we, we know you and we want to know you more. Lord, would you really get our attention? Would you help us to silence our minds and help us to still ourselves and help us to open our hands completely to whatever you have for us? Father, would you lead us? Help us, Lord, to stay in step with you, to stay in tune with you. Lead us right now as we worship, as we commune. I know you're here, Lord. Your presence is here. Would you minister to us as we commune with one another and as we worship you? Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.